1: Hello my dark darlings, I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those sheltering into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. For those that don't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I know with all of us sheltering at home and sheltering into place now, it can get a bit tough. For me personally, I never realized how much of an extrovert I was until I had to stay inside. So I just wanted to touch base real quick to make sure that you're taking care of your mental health. For me, I try to go for walks responsibly, uh, social distancing with uh, friends. Go ahead and let us know in the comments what you're doing. Are you doing puzzles or painting? Listing your hobbies might help others and reading the hobbies of others might help you. But there is something we all have in common the love of spooky stories. The constancy of the ebbs and flows of life lulls us all, that warmth and comfort of normalcy until things change. And that change, it can be abrupt, tearing apart the world you thought you knew until you find yourself stumbling into the unfamiliar, into danger. First, don't let grandma see you sneak in. Next, Discover a midnight snack like no other. After that, beware the lady by the lagoon. And finally, mourn with the phantom seamstress. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at snarl.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com slash snarl. So, want to hear something scary? Grandma Dearest. It's instilled from a young age to do anything for family. Whether it's the family you're born into, or the family you've chosen. For good or for ill, family comes first. There were three things I had to do in the morning when going to grandmother's house. Feed the cats, be out in 15 minutes, and do not, under any circumstances, make myself known. Grandma mustn't see you. If she does, it will startle her, my uncle Stanley asserted. He explained that my grandmother had fallen ill and no longer remembered family members. Uncle Stanley took care of her and he'd asked me to help by feeding her cats before heading off to school. In exchange, I'd get some extra cash for whatever I wanted. Still, it was weird not being able to interact with grandma. She was such a force of nature and I missed her cooking. But Uncle Stanley would often tell me that you had to be willing to make sacrifices for your loved ones to keep them safe and comfortable. As I walked through the back door attached to the kitchen, I saw her. Her back turned while staring at the TV. She seemed still, unnaturally still under the big wool blanket that covered her. But then she did love her programs. Her two cats, Destiny and Angel, were lined up and ready to eat, so I fed them. I put up the food, pulled out my phone, and gathered my things. As I started to head towards the back door, I looked back at my grandma, once again wishing I could sit beside her. The next several days that followed were the same. Get to the house, feed the cats, and then leave. This continued until the day I stayed too long. I lost track of time standing in the kitchen watching a video a friend sent me on my phone. Suddenly, I had a strange feeling and, checking the time, realized I'd been there much longer than I'd been before. Peeking out at Grandma, I saw that she was sitting as usual, staring at her TV. Yet still, the feeling intensified. It felt as if something inside of me was telling me that I should get out. I decided to ignore it because I was with my Grandma. Her house was the safest place to be. Pouring out the dry cat food, the sound of the kibble rang out in the empty kitchen. The happy cats came over to eat, and that's when I noticed it. There was red on the cat's fur. It was blood. Concerned, I checked them for scratches, but there weren't any injuries on either of them. Just the blood. And then, a trail of it, heading out of the kitchen. Looking out into the living room, Grandma was gone. The TV was still going, but she was missing. Her discarded blanket on the ground. Grandma? I called out to her. Some floorboards deeper in the house creaked. The trail of blood from the kitchen continued down the hallway. Unsettled, I fumbled my phone out to call my uncle. As soon as I hit call, a ringtone went off in the house. Uncle Stanley? I called out hesitantly, walking towards the sound. The phone continued to ring unanswered. The ringtone in the house continued as well. Grandma, are you okay? Uncle Stanley? Are you there? My voice was small and shaking as I headed down the hall. Grandma's bedroom door was ajar, and I heard rattling noises coming from inside. As I entered the room, I couldn't believe what I saw. There were dark stains on the floor and scratches on the walls. My uncle stood there next to the bed. The ringing stopped as he pulled out his phone and ended my call. The rattling came from my grandmother's feet. She was restrained on her bed with chains attached to the bottom post. She was almost unrecognizable. Her face was decayed, her pupils small in the white of her eyes as she snarled and growled at my uncle. What's going on? I shuddered out. Apprehensively, Uncle Stanley looked over at me. Why are you still here? I told you to never stay long. Grandma is sick and just needs a little help. But I guess you know the truth now so you'll have to help me feed her, too. I watched, horrified, as Uncle Stanley pulled a human limb out of a leaking bag near his feet. Holding it out towards her, he sighed. Family comes first, smiling down at her as she latched on and feasted on it. You can live out your chef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Adventures in babysitting take a turn for the worst in this story inspired by Cassandra. It's been 48 hours since I've been able to get a full night's rest. I don't know how much longer I can last like this. I haven't slept since I found the body. Sergio. I was babysitting him and watching late night shows. There was nothing out of the ordinary but long after I tucked him in, I heard movements upstairs. The noise was too loud to be just him and I found it strange that he'd be awake at that hour. Wondering if he needed something, I decided to check on him. When I got to his room, It was dead silent, but the window was open. Shadows crossed the bed as I approached quietly. Beneath the dancing stars of his nightlight, I found Sergio with his eyes peacefully closed. Sleeping like an angel, it seemed. However, there was a big wet spot on the blanket that looked unusually dark. I wondered if he had had an accident and tried to wake him, but he felt cold to the touch. Bewildered, I pulled the blanket back to find his stomach ripped open and stuffed with empty candy wrappers. That's when I heard the crunching behind me, lips smacking gleefully. When I turned around, I saw it, the shadow of a boy around my age with pointed ears and yellow eyes. His teeth were so sharp and wide, how they gnashed against the hard candy and intestines hanging out of his mouth. I've been waiting for you, he said and I ran down the stairs, screaming. Sergio's parents were inconsolable, and I left in shock. I never wanted to babysit again. Sergio was the third child that week to be found like that. I stopped wanting to close my eyes. I didn't want to remember what I'd witnessed. I've been waiting for you, it had said. Those words played over and over in my head. Why did it let me live? Was it coming back for me? The next day, my parents added extra locks to the windows in our house. Families were on high alert. Our neighborhood watch patrolled the streets trying to catch the psychotic boy eating the children. It liked blood and candy. In humans, being who we are, we tried our best to control what we could. To keep the children safe to make some sort of order out of chaos. The whole town banned any sort of sweets. Parents melted it down and got rid of it by any means necessary. At night, I'd watch the shadows dance across my room from passing lights outside, shuddering because to me the shadows all looked like him. It became too much, and I sat by my window to keep watch. My eyelids would flutter in and out of sleep. I'd sway but bolt awake in fear of those teeth and those yellow eyes. I saw his shadow jumping from rooftop to rooftop across the street from my bedroom window. Was I dreaming? More tired than I've ever been, I reluctantly drifted off to sleep. I felt a cool breeze hit my face and a blanket wrapped around me. I heard a whisper close to my ear. I'll be seeing you soon. When I woke up, I was in my bed. My blanket stained red with sticky candy goop and blood. The locks on my window were undone and it was open. When I got downstairs, my parents told me that Cecilia... The preschooler across the street was found, just like the others. Crying, I ran back upstairs and locked myself in. I sealed the window again and struggled my bookcase in front of it as a barricade. I let myself sleep the day away. When I awoke, it was 9 p.m. I was on the floor by my window. The bookcase was back in its original place. My hand was covered in red, sticky, cherry candy, red, Around me, I found a lollipop wrapper. Grossed out, I went to the bathroom to wash it off my hands, but no matter how much I scrubbed, the stain wouldn't fade. My hand was raw, and I began to think I was going crazy. Wendy, please come downstairs, Mother asked in a strange voice. There are officers here to ask you a few questions. Officers here to ask me questions? I told them everything I saw when I found Sergio, unless I looked at the stain on my hand, unless they thought, I'm behind all this. It wasn't me. It was the boy at the window. When I went downstairs, the officers were accompanied by a child psychologist who asked me questions about my sleepless nights. I told them about the shadow boy, how he'd appear at my window, taunting me. Didn't they understand they were wasting their time? He was out there. We have to stop him. I watched as the terror grew in their eyes. They said there was no boy, that I was having a mental breakdown. I know I'm not crazy. I know that they think I did it. I heard my mom confess that I had extra keys to all the homes where the children were murdered. And that was true. I'd been their babysitter once but I hadn't seen those keys for weeks. I swore the boy must have taken them. They thought I was crazy, and the psychologist suggested that I come in for further examination. I ran back upstairs and found my window wide open again. The boy stood there and reached out for me. ''Don't scream,'' he said. ''I can take you away from all of this. We can be together. I'll take you somewhere you'll never grow old or face any consequences.'' Footsteps hurried up the stairs. They wanted to take me away. I didn't want to be locked up for the rest of my life, so I took the boy's shadow hand. You have to trust me, Wendy. You have to believe, he said, as he led me off the rooftop and let me fall. After my head hit the concrete, my transformation was complete. I stood over my body as a shadow. The boy walked up to me and said I was ready. He took my hand and we flew off following the stars in the night seeking blood and candy thank you so much cassandra for inspiring this story for us and you even wrote us a note you said that you've written a story to something scary in the past and it was one of the stories in the home sweet home episode uh, that you are a very big fan and that y'all are awesome thank you so much cassandra and we hope that you've enjoyed this retelling of when lost boys go feral.
2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: A lesson hard learned is a lesson that will stick with you through life and death. Like in this story of two brothers inspired by Mochi. Two young boys, Podge and Yang, raced from the seaside with their grandfather's latest catch. It was a big fish. Holding each end, they tossed it into the large bucket by their camp. When they ran back, Yang tripped on his sandal and it flew right off. Podge laughed and helped his younger brother up. Bad idea to run in sandals, he said. You can't keep up. He motioned to his bare feet on the sand. Yang knew Podge didn't like listening to the grown-ups. Mom told him to keep his sandals on. He refused. Dad told him to not stay up, but he did. And in turn, so did Yang. Yawning, Yang sat by his grandfather while Podge splashed by the water. You're scaring the fish away, boy. We need one more for dinner, their grandfather reprimanded. How about you and Yang go start picking berries and fruits by the hill overlooking the lagoon? Just don't go down by the water over there, or the lady of the lagoon will snatch you up for dinner. Podge and Yang asked grandfather if there really was a lady in the lagoon. Chuckling, he told them they shouldn't try to find out. Just go get the fruit to marinate the fish. In the fields, Yang searched through the trees, carrying a basket while Podge looked through the bushes. There were maybe a handful of berries and a mango that looked like it might not be ripe. Podge was hungry and dug into their small bounty, not listening to Yang when he asked him to leave some for dinner. I'm tired and hungry from all this hard work, Yang, Podge complained as they wandered over to the edge of the hill. Ready to head back to Grandfather, Yang grabbed the berries Podge had in hand. Let's go. We did our best. But Podge ignored him. He looked down, and Yang followed his gaze. Below them, a lady carried a basket full of fresh fruits and berries on her head. We should ask her if she has any to spare, Podge suggested as he followed her down toward the edge of the lagoon. Yang couldn't stop him. He was determined and left him no other choice but to follow. The woman smiled as they approached and asked how she could help them. She put the basket into the water to clean the fruit. Podge, with innocent white eyes, sweetly let her know they'd been gathering ingredients for a fish marinade. Nodding, Yang shuffled his feet. They were right next to the lagoon, where her grandfather forbade them to go. I think I have more than enough fruit. Please grab whatever you want from the basket, she said to them. Podge didn't think twice about reaching in, and as soon as he did— The woman's face transformed into a siren with gills at her neck and piranha teeth. With her hooked claws, she pulled Podge towards the water. Yang, Podge shouted as he reached for his brother and Yang grabbed his outstretched hand, but the woman of the lagoon was too strong. Yang's feet dragged in the sand, getting closer and closer to the water's edge. Podge realized that she intended to take them both. Tearing up, Podge looked at his brother with love, then yanked himself free of Yang's hand, causing Yang to overbalance away from the water. Run, was the last thing he told his brother. Tripping out of one of his sandals, Yang didn't look back. When he got back to the campsite, he told his grandfather what happened. The search parties never found Podge's body, and Yang held on to the memory, the knowledge that the woman of the lagoon was real. He kept a sandal as a reminder of what he survived for the rest of his life. There are many tales and horror stories that involve aquatic legends. If you know of any, especially any that you've heard in your family, please send them to us at somethingscaryatsnarled.com. Love is a many splendid thing, but it can also be a double-edged sword, taking as much as it gives, like in this story, inspired by Lauren. It was love at first sight for Lewis and Ursula, and soon enough they were married. Ursula was new in town when she met Lewis at his rock concert. Friends compared her ethereal beauty to the woodland spirits, and cheekily said that she had bewitched Lewis. Other friends would good-naturedly laugh and say that Lewis was the one that had lured Ursula from the forest with his music. It was a fantasy they both enjoyed, he the musician and she his muse. Lewis was in a band that had a hit on the charts as soon as he penned a song for Ursula, and the young beauty worked on the costumes his band wore on stage. When Ursula announced she was expecting, Lewis left his band to embark on a solo career and bought a house for his new family. Unfortunately, he was unable to reach the same success he had while on the road with his former band, and he began to spiral. He hid the bottle during the months that Ursula was expecting and depleted their funds. He couldn't keep a job to save his life. After Ursula gave birth to their baby boy, she had to quickly get back to work since Lewis was unemployed. She leaned into her passion for costuming and became a seamstress at a local theater her work would keep her away until late, and Lewis was left to fend with a crying baby for days on end. All the boy did was cry, day in and day out. And the fact that Ursula was away at work most of the day meant Lewis was alone with his son for hours on end, listening to that awful, unwavering screech. Ursula and Lewis started to have fights. Lewis wanted her to quit so he could get a better job, so he wouldn't have to listen to the eternal screaming all day. Ursula knew he wouldn't be able to keep it and argued that a low-paying job was better than him having no work at all. There was happiness in her work for the local theater. Ursula would make kings and queens of the actors. They'd look magical in gold and purple robes. Dancers would sparkle like the fairy folk her friends would good-naturedly say she belonged with. Even though the hours were long, it was worth it to her to be able to provide for her baby. Lewis continued to spiral out of control, and with a broken heart, Ursula began to plan an escape for herself and her baby. She took on a big theater festival that set up camp by the forest and worked for days on end. The hours were long on sight. Even at home by night, she'd be at her sewing machine, crying baby by her side until the sun went up. Lewis couldn't stand the constant sound of the baby or the whirring of her machine and would wander the streets drunkenly. When the festival performances began, Ursula would often stay in the travelers' tents to be on call, altering costumes and creating magic for audiences to behold. She begged Lewis to stay home to watch their child. Begrudgingly, he agreed. After the last show, Ursula finally went home. Opening the door, she didn't hear the baby crying and was relieved. Finally, Lewis had cleaned up his act. Maybe he'd finally settled into fatherhood. She couldn't have been more wrong. Their home was in shambles. Papers were ripped everywhere, drawers emptied out, her savings gone. Ursula shouted for her husband and heard no answer. Frantically searching for her child, she found them in the kitchen atop a heap of bloody bottles dripping onto the floor from the crack in his small head. And beside him lay Louis, passed out and snoring. Struck and dying inside, Ursula reached into her dress pocket and grabbed a roll of fine but very strong string that she had spun herself and would use for her toughest projects. Ursula glided up behind Louis and pulled the end of the string until it was the correct length. Then she slipped her arms around her husband's neck and pulled both ends of the string hard. Louis barely regained consciousness as the thin line barreled through his neck. The sharp pain was long and drawn out as he choked. (gasps) Ursula summoned her strength as a daughter of the spirit of the woods. The whispers about Ursula and Louis had been true all along. She was a mystical being birthed from the spirit of the forest, lulled from her home by his music, the spirit that she had turned her back on for an ultimately unworthy spouse, a man who took her magic and her son. She sliced his head clean off, breaking even the bone. Taking that and her poor baby, she headed into her workroom. All night, she stayed up on her machine, sewing and humming to her quiet baby. Tears flowed down her cheeks as she worked. The next day, her town saw her walk in a long, glittering black dress and shroud, with her baby in one hand and her husband's head in the other, walking into the forest and never returning. Her house was left abandoned, but every so often, if you get close at night, You can hear the sewing machine whirring for hours and her tears over her child. If you don't mourn with her or move along quickly, it's said she'll take your head and in her funeral dress parade it with her into the unknown beyond the forest trees. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty and Sabina Graves. Narration by Marquia McCarty. Audio edited by Fitz Harris. Graphics by Johnny Ashley. Produced by Annalise Nelson. Music by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com/snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com/snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.